Are you on Clubhouse, by the way? Me? No, I'm I'm very old. I saw I saw this meme that was that said something along the lines of I'm I'm in my late 30s. Um, can I just get a newsletter of all the best TikToks sent to me? Welcome to Beyond the Cart, presented by Lightburn. I'm Nora. And I'm Andy. And this is a podcast all about e-commerce and our journey developing our own direct-to-consumer site from the ground up. When you hear marketing strategy, do your eyes light up or glaze over? Either way, in today's episode, we'll help you understand how to get the ball rolling with your own marketing strategy. Before we get started on on this episode, we have a little update from episode two, which we left as a real cliffhanger. I'm sure everyone has been on the edge of their seat, yeah, wondering what platform we selected. Yeah, uh, I think you know we had some conversations, and ultimately, once we had the name, we had some tough conversations around what we're really going to do with the product, and we ultimately decided on Shopify. I win. It's one of my favorites to work with. It is. It's great. So we're using Shopify, just the standard, not plus. Yeah. Plus is a little outside of our budget for now. For now. Uh, and I don't think we need no the, the feature set, the additional feature set that plus offers, which is, which is really cool, by the way. So it was between that, Magento, and we even considered Kentico, kind of ruled out Kentico just because of the licensing fees which is unfortunate because I do like the the platform. One of the things that we were, we really hadn't quite sorted out was how much we wanted this product to be configurable. And I know we're going to get into marketing strategy today. And that was absolutely part of that is looking at it, what what's the competition doing? Where do we need to be to stand out? Or what are consumers looking for? And we ultimately decided that any level of configuration that we needed to do out of the gate, Shopify can handle for us. Yeah. So we feel really good about it. It it gets some decision making out of the way. We le- we like to lean into the the platforms that we use and not fight against them. So we're definitely going to use the expertise that we have from, you know, launching so many other Shopify sites to get the ball rolling. So I'm really excited. Likewise. Okay, so that's another another thing done. Now. Yeah, we're moving along. We're getting we're building yeah. momentum. And and part of that is coming up with our digital marketing strategy. Do you like that segue? I do like that segue. Yeah. And and this was something that you had started before before you even decided whether or not we were going to do this, right? Yeah. In our situation, I I really put a lot of time and thought into is there a market for these at the scale that I want to do it? Definitely put the market some marketing research ahead of even is this viable? What do we need to to do to actually make this product? I wanted to make sure that there was an opportunity that would be worth it for us. Yeah. yeah. So, so in your mind, when we say digital marketing strategy, what all goes into that? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that you have to look at is you know you got to understand your goals and objectives, right? A lot of companies, believe it or not, forget. They they want to grow, right? And that's their objective. But that's and that's great, but that's not a true objective. It's like, do you want to grow one percent? Do you want to grow one thousand percent? So really putting down your goals and say, hey, we want to grow X XYZ, uh, or we wanna maybe 
reduce our costs by so much. You got to have a number with those goals as much as possible. So I think that that definitely is a key to making a digital marketing strategy is having your your goals and objectives that are are outlined, that are agreed upon in term in the organization, and, and then measurable. You can kind of, and measurable right? as much measurable as possible goals. measurable yeah and then and then from there so that's a key ingredient in a marketing strategy but also positioning and messaging right so the beauty with advertising and marketing is that you can position and message and change your messaging to to cater to different audiences i think you have to understand what your positioning is and what the messaging around that is going to be you don't have to have it all flushed out to build your strategy, but you, you certainly have to understand your audiences and how you're going to position what it is that you're doing. There's tactics and analytics and competitor insights. All of that stuff goes into a strategy. And ultimately, I think there's a lot of confusion uh, and a lot of debate. I think it's heavily debated like, well, you don't have a strategy, you have a plan. Well, I have a plan, but not a strategy. It doesn't really matter right? You just, you do need a plan. If you want to call that your plan, if you want to call that your strategy, call it whatever. It's how you're going to get from A to B. And that's all that matters. And I think also accepting the fact that your plan, your strategy should and will evolve is, is part of the plan. There's a lot of that here is embracing a little bit of mess and not thinking, you know, maybe this is you, you've got it 80% of the way. And yeah. that is the right place to start. If you wait until it's 100% figured out, you're waiting too long, and you're going to be wrong, especially doing something brand new. Yeah. And you know, you read all these case studies and uh, success stories like this company went from zero to $100 million, they had the most brilliant strategy, I guarantee they had some ideas, but they have they were working that strategy and that plan all along and learning and things you know, fell into place or they had to adjust. So I'm not a fan, personally, advocate for having a 10-year goal, right? I think you have to have a vision for 10 years out, mm -hmm. but you're not going to put a 10-year plan together. It's just in any great detail. So you got to build momentum, especially for a company like this. It's all about how do we get the engine going and start building some momentum. So that's really what we help a lot of our clients with on the digital marketing strategy is like, Okay, again, what are your goals and objectives? And then let's back into that a plan that will help you get there. Obviously, we typically don't operate as a one man band, but if you were doing this all by yourself, um, how would you how would you get started putting together a digital marketing strategy that's made up of these goals and objectives, positioning, tactics, um, and and insights from the competition? Yeah, I think the first step for anyone putting a digital marketing strategy together is to really take a, a, a step back and look at what the marketplace is telling them. So if you're rolling out a new product that's going to be a disruptor, it's going to change something, the marketplace isn't necessarily going to tell you a whole lot because they don't know what they it's don't know. It's never been right? done. Yeah. yeah. But oftentimes, more often than not, you're not a disruptor. You have quote unquote, a me too product, meaning you have competitors, obviously, you, there's features and benefits and all that stuff. So the marketplace will tell you a lot. And I think it's important to really take a look at what the marketplace is telling, telling you. And I think that goes a long way in, in putting together a strategy and positioning 
and messaging. For Billberry West, what I did was, and we did this very early on, and then we came back and, and put the rest of the plan together. We looked at, are our competitors having success? Is there one competitor that seems to be more successful than the other? And and again, we're making some assumptions, right? But we took it to, to the point where like, we Google mapped their facility. Do they have a large facility? Okay, well, they're obviously keeping the lights on in that large facility because they're doing something right. Again, those are assumptions. But then we also use tools like SEM Rush. We used AdWords. We used Built With. And we kind of picked apart all everything our competitors were doing that we could get access to, right? So there's still lots of things that we don't know. But that that was one of our first place uh, places we started to kind of figure out, okay, let's not reinvent the wheel. If, if, if a competitor is having some success, maybe we can you know, leverage some of that. Get a little piece of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, gaining market shares is part of our plan. Uh, we have to, right? Because this is an established market. This product has been around for a hundred years. People have been making and selling these. So we're, we're entering, you know, a somewhat saturated market. So for us looking at, at the, what the marketplace is telling us, not only informed some product decisions, right? But it also helped us paint a picture on how we might want to go about getting this thing launched. Yeah, and that that ties a little bit into the branding too, right? Because that's also going to affect that the the positioning. We're learning at the same time alongside this um, more analytical market research of how they're positioning themselves. Yeah. So these are happening in tandem, and we'll get to that at a future uh, yeah. episode, what so we did I, with that information. I put together an actual document, a PowerPoint presentation, and I literally have all of what I believe are our real competitors once we launch, kind of documented on who they are, where they're located, how they position themselves, what kind of a good review of their product and a bad review of their product. And that really helped me understand what we had to do and where our strategy and plan could fall in place. So, yeah. And I think, you know, you use the phrase a me too product. I think people see that as a negative. It isn't. And I think there's space for building something new. I, I think there's a way to build a brand and a product in an existing market without having to be some sort of revolutionary. Yeah. And that's, that's something important here too. And I think that's, that may be something that scares away, especially manufacturers who haven't ever dipped into direct to consumer, that it feels like there's no space for you. For us, that really helped solidify how important our brand and our messaging and positioning is, right? So we're going to have a really yeah. great product. It's going to be on par, if not better, than our biggest competitors. I have no no doubts about that. But, you know, if they're standing next to each other at a store, what's going to really Google make... Shopping. And they're and they're Yeah, or on Google Shopping, and they're, and they're the same price or really close, why is somebody going to pick ours over the, the competitors? And that's where that light bulb went on and said, it's all about brand. You know, so we're in a saturated market. There's plenty of other uh, sources that buy these chairs from what's really going to make the difference is brand, 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 and, and, and messaging. So we got to get people to fall in love with us as a company and our product. Which I think for us is a little more fun than just, we could slap a 
a site together, and that's how I thought we were going to go into this before you shared all of this research, was that we could get a site together rather quickly, that brand was going to be secondary. And once you shared, you know, where we can fit in, the branding is a really fun opportunity for us to do and get more of the team involved in the process as well. So, you know, again, we, the marketplace kind of turned that light bulb on for us, right? Because mm-hmm. again, it's not like, hey, we can worry less about the brand because it's a, it's a blue ocean. It's, it's really a red ocean at this point. So brand is going to be Wait, that differentiated. blood in the water? Is that what red ocean is? Uh, saturated market? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so next okay so you you've understood the marketplace you're stalking the competition which sounds creepy i'm kindly you're finding out what is available taking interest in their organizations yes yes and and i mean also we're we're investing energy and, and time and money into this is it are we going to be able to sell these things it's a very <laughs> this is the building the e-commerce site and building these chairs is a passion project but putting this level of effort into it, we absolutely needed to make sure that there was space for us. And just finding out how much is getting manufactured by some of these competitors and and how much volume that uh, there is in keywords around this it is comforting to me that this is worth our energy. Yeah. So we threw all that, I kind of threw all that on the table and then I'm, I'm kind of sorting through it, right? But once I have that, I need to then take a step back and, and make sure I understand our customer model, right? So, which is, I think, a huge, huge factor in a digital marketing strategy is, you know, and oftentimes people don't understand what I call a customer model. If you have a one-time product, which we sort of do, right? Because these things yeah. are built it's to last. It's not disposable. Yeah, this is yeah. not a consumable this is not a consumable product. You know, we kind of are, are priding ourselves on this thing should last 20 years, right? So if we sell you a chair, in theory, we shouldn't have to sell you another one for 10 plus years unless you need more of them. But you're not going to replace it, right? Yeah. So that's super important in this whole strategy development because we essentially have a one-time customer, sort of. So that also informed some product strategy. So Okay, ideally, our average customer orders two or three or four of these chairs, bringing up the average value, average order value, which is important to know for digital marketing strategies. But it also sort of informed our company strategy, meaning, okay, chances are somebody, what else are we going to sell to this customer? We're going to go through this effort and acquire a customer. Is that is that as far as we want to take it? Or do we want to be able to ultimately offer them additional product extensions and accessories and things like that, that we can then get them back as a customer. Bring them back into the fold. Yeah. So understanding that, you know, day one, we're very much going to have a one-time purchase, right? You're not going to, chances are you're going to order a chair or two, you're going to get them delivered. You're going to enjoy them for the season and maybe you'll order some more down the road. If you're selling a consumable product, like a Kringle, right? You're going to order a Kringle potentially multiple times a year for years. If we had a more consumable product, we could we could factor in different, Repeat, we could look at customer yeah. acquisition costs a little bit differently. Whereas with Billberry West, we have to look at customer acquisition costs as very likely going to be a one-time purchase. Now we're going to work our asses off to, to hopefully have that not be the case, but that's that's how we're planning for it, at least day one. So knowing our product, 
margins and and what our profit margins are factor into our digital marketing strategy because we know hey if we for every hundred dollars we generate we're going to be able to keep you know there's 30 or 40 dollars in profit there well we can kind of look at we can make some assumptions and say okay on our on average we hope we're going to plan for two chairs and we know that there's x amount of profit so then we can go back and we can look at the marketing and digital tactics that are available to us and say, okay, what, which of those tactics not only puts us in front of our audience, but also will convert at a rate that is at or below that profit. Cause we don't want to spend more to acquire a customer than we're generating, especially important for us. Uh, let me ask you something. This is where you're in the world of spreadsheets, right? Like you can do all these models and, and tweak some numbers um, and percentages and really get in your head, I think. How how much time do you spend? How, how valuable is it to keep tweaking these? And when do you let go and decide, yes, this is good enough? Yeah, so for us, we have a model. We know roughly what the chair is going to cost, you know, from start to finish, including labor. We have we have a model there, right? Uh, if you had an existing product, you should definitely know your margins. You know, we spent a few hours only, actually, because we don't have that many products putting this together in Excel and being like, oh, yeah. This is our profit margin. This is what we can spend. This is what's left over. So for us, we're okay uh, running at a break-even point for the foreseeable future. So that's kind of our business model because we want to gain some critical mass. The the more volume that we can generate, even if it's at a break-even, ultimately long-term we'll pay dividends because we'll be able to buy more material in, in bulk and we'll get more out of the labor that we have to, to spend it's just gain more efficient. efficiencies. Yeah. yeah, that's factoring into our our digital marketing strategies, knowing that, hey, we're willing to run at break even because we want to hit critical mass as quickly as possible. So we have a we have a good idea of what that number is going to be. Spend some serious money for that for each order, essentially. Yeah, we're 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 going to be buying our way. To, <laughs> we're buying gross. Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. It, that's just what our strategy and our plan is. So now, now we have a budget in place, right? So we've decided on a per order what we can spend. Now we have to kind of factor, okay, what is, what is realistic and what are a couple different models in terms of, well, what if we sell one, get one order a day or two orders yeah. a day? You know, and we, we've been very, I think people, uh, and I'm guilty of this in the past, like, oh yeah, we could sell 200 a day. That's not that many. And then you look at the numbers, you're like, holy that's not realistic at all. And I I think we've seen like when you're like you put it uh, buying your way in to the market in the first place, because we, we're not going to have any organic traffic, right? Right. This is coming out of nowhere. So you have to face that every single order for a while is you're going to have to pay for. And I think that's hard for that's hard to swallow sometimes when you're when you're starting to sell direct to consumer for the first time and yeah, how expensive absolutely. it can be to get started. Oh, like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're hanging our hat on success is growth, right? We're defining success not on you know, how much profit is left at the end of the year. Short term, we're defining success and, and our goals and objectives as we want to grow because growth to yeah. a certain point, ultimately will pay off long-term, more efficient, yeah, so, that, so on and so forth. That goes back to those goals and objectives, like making sure you have those down on paper so you can point back to why you're doing any of this. And I, I think it 
you can't stress it enough because it's really easy once you get further down the process to lose sight of it. And then you're just trying to like cut, you know, those, you know, cost per click costs or whatever. And you lose sight of the, of the bigger objective and you might be cutting off your nose to spite your face. I would argue when you're reviewing as, as you're moving forward and looking at your budgets and, and, and actual numbers, once things get going, bring back up those goals and objectives every time you're meeting to talk about it, to remind yourself of why you're doing it. So you don't lose sight of those kind of bigger ideas when you're getting in the weeds. And then, you know, I get a lot of questions on from first time digital marketers that are like, Hey, what, what should we have as a budget? I mean, ultimately we want our budget to be as big as possible, right? I'll, we'll spend a million dollars a month, a day, a minute. If it returns, (laughs) you know, ultimately if it provides a return, right? So the budget is as big as humanly possible. Well, it should be a percentage essentially. Right. Right. So that's exactly what we do, especially for our first time digital marketing clients is we say, Hey, especially e-commerce direct to consumer. We say, what do you want to spend as a percentage of the overall revenue? You know, can you spend 2%, 5%? Do you have high margins? Maybe you can spend 30% if the lifetime value is big to acquire that customer the first time. And then it pays off the second order, third order, and so on. Especially as a new advertiser in digital, you have to set aside some money that you're willing to essentially lose, right? So obviously you got to trust the people who are managing that money and and demand that they deploy those resources as efficiently as possible, but there's going to be a lot of a waste there. It feels like waste, but I, it, you have to, yeah, gotta spend money to make money. There's a reason that that's said. You have to get into the market. You have to show up first and it takes time. It can take a couple years sometimes to really get a foothold. And it's so exciting to see. And this is where, this is where all of this planning gets complicated. You got to start factoring in shipping. And anything else that you haven't had to to budget for before, I think that gets lost a lot in this process when you're figuring out profit margins. And we have a whole other conversation about shipping coming up, but that's part of this modeling, right? Yeah, absolutely. That all goes into the digital marketing strategy. People, if you, if you Google that, people will be like, you need a content strategy. It's like, yeah, that's, that's part of the, that, that yeah. could be part of the plan. <laughs> you need a yeah. paid search strategy, uh, plan strategy. Yeah, that's. It's kind of wrapping that all together. And for us as a startup too, a little bit different than a more established business. So we decided we want to acquire those customers using different digital marketing tactics, paid search, organic, so on and so forth, and sell to them directly. Boom. That's that's phase one of this company. Phase two then, uh, as part of our strategy plan is then we're going to start selling through marketplaces. So we want to get our product on Wayfair and we want to get our product listed on Home Depot and a number of other marketplaces. And then we be essentially become a drop shipper. And then third, the third leg in this race is going to be wholesale. So we know there's an opportunity. There's lots of home and garden stores. There's some furniture stores that we could ultimately offer wholesale. So we've... Our, that's our long-term plan strategy. So track to consumer first, build as much momentum there. Once we're, we're comfortable, that's firing all, all cylinders, move to marketplaces, then move to wholesale. 
and then we backed in backed into our digital strategy based on that so okay how are we going to reach new customers using digital and that became our plan and we know we're going to start with uh, Google smart shopping campaigns. It's the most cost-effective digital advertising that for e-commerce, it's relatively easy to get set up. We know that that customers are who are using Google shopping are well on their way. They've they're gone beyond convert. that recent. Yeah. yeah, they're gonna convert whether it's with us or maybe one of our competitors. It's very likely if you're looking at Google shopping results, you've made the decision to to make a purchase. You know, we're hoping we're going to be aggressive there first and we know, you know, and then we're going to build on that. And the key though is having analytics in place, having metrics in place so that we can track our progress. We're making a big assumption on conversion rates, which were, I have a conversion rate in my model and then I, I actually cut that in half. Just to play it safe, I'm going to cut that in half again. Andy, do you, would you say that in... In general, our approach, Lightburns, is a more conservative approach when it comes to that kind of of thing that we skew more conservatively in conversion rates or um, you know marketing budget as a whole. For planning purposes, yes. Yeah. So you know, if we sit down with a client, and they're like, "Hey, what what are what can we expect?" And we put models together. We'll always you know, as a team, we'll say, "Hey, this is what if it's an existing site and, and they're getting enough." 5% conversion rate, we'll look at the new tactics and say, and okay, typically you get X percentage conversion rate. Let's cut that by at least a factor of 25%. Because we'd rather essentially plan for the worst and hope for the best than yeah. to plan for the best and reality is always different. Uh, and I think that's important. Well, especially since we're doing this for our clients and they're really trusting us, like you said earlier, to be... You know, it's their money that we're spending. Yeah. And so I think we're bringing, usually our clients are coming to us really excited and they see opportunity and we do too. And we don't ever want to, we want to serve them well and be mindful of the fact that we're, we're spending on their behalf, essentially. Yeah. And we, you know, we've seen a lot of, uh, of organizations that say, Hey, we have a marketing strategy or digital marketing strategy to get as much traffic as possible. And my philosophy is, you know, and we've seen that in practice where they will, will have clients that are like, yeah, we don't have, we're not really growing as fast as we want. Could you take a look at our digital marketing? And they're spending tens of thousands of dollars buying up traffic. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. because they're reporting back, right. That, Hey, our web traffic grew 50%. Yeah. Ooh, great. It's a win. It's like, who cares? <laughs> and then it if it's, bounced if it's not converting, I'd rather have yeah. 10 visitors and have eight of them convert than to have 10,000 visitors mm -hmm. and have eight of them convert, especially if I'm paying for it. But yeah, I mean, there's so many tactics right now too. That's, I think that is probably one of the hardest parts of putting a digital marketing strategy together is that there's so many tactics. It can be overwhelming. We can run ads now on Hulu for our clients. We can take a small business and put them on Hulu, which is mind blowing to me. Like you, nobody, like only the big dogs could afford TV, right? Back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day, especially on a national mm -hmm. buy. But now with Hulu and the metrics they have, we could actually run a video ad targeting certain demographics right on Hulu. And it is so exciting that a small business can compete at the same level in a lot of ways as the big guys. But but it, that's also, it's very easy to get lost in the weeds there because there are so many tactics. We can be on the 
yeah, digital radio. We can be on digital television. There's search. There's social. It seems like every day there's a new tactic. It's like TikTok is obviously <laughs> exploded. Should we be there? And it really, all those tactics come down to putting together models on a per tactic basis of what are, you know, have we ever used it before? What conversion rates are we seeing in other industries? Is it the right audience? If your audience is, is there, but then the cost is too high, maybe you have to make some adjustments or, you know, put that on the back burner. Or if, if the cost is right, and we've seen this a lot with clients that come to us who are struggling, is, well, we're, we're using this and we're getting, you know, lots of traffic and we're spending money, but we're not getting any conversions. It's like, well, that's because your audience isn't there. You know, impressions don't matter. Conversion rates matter. Making sure you're in front of your audience at the right time matters. And I think you have to experiment, right? So part of our strategy is we know we're going to dabble in. We have our main tactic first, and then we're going to put our dip our toe into a couple other tactics and then continue to ramp those up. But we're also, we have the abort button. We have this big abort button on our desk. It's like, regardless of what we think, you know, how we think paid search should perform, the data is going to tell us whether or not it's actually performing. And, and we're very good as an organization to say, hey, we went into this, our plan, our strategy was to dominate search marketing. Guess what? It's not working. Yeah. All our conversions are coming through Instagram. So we're going to move a bunch of the money over there. Yeah. Cause and, we, and, yeah, that, and we literally allocate, yeah. you know, initially, Beginning of the month, beginning of a plan, a program, we'll allocate money to each of the tactics, but we'll we'll move that money around and chase conversions. Do you have a rule of thumb on how frequently you should be um, reallocating, especially when getting started? Yeah, no more than once a month. So we we always look at our data on a daily basis. We report on it to the team on a weekly basis, meaning we have analysts looking at campaigns on how they're converting every single day for for a client yeah and we'll be doing the same for bill barry west then on a weekly base basis we roll that up and say here here's the summary of what happened last week we have a quick conversation usually 10 to 15 minutes and say hey everything's working or yeah you know this campaign is kind of struggling but we still don't have enough data to declare it a win or a loss so we're going to keep going so we make quick decisions on a weekly basis. And then on a monthly basis, we take a step back and look at a whole month's worth of data and say, where do we need to change? And oftentimes it's, hey, next month it's going to be the same old, same old. And that's fine. It's a conscious decision to do that. Or we may say, you know what? Instagram is totally bombing on us. Let's let's cut Pull that. Pull the plug. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so to me, that's part of the digital marketing strategy is, yeah. is change. So... I think, again, to kind of summarize, you need to know what the marketplace is telling us, telling you, you know, where, where are your competitors? Facebook has a tool, for example, where we can go on, I can put a competitor in and it'll show me all the ads that they're running on Facebook. They won't tell me, you know, who they're showing them to, how much they're spending, but I can take a look at just about any competitor of ours and figure out A, if they're, if they're marketing on Facebook, B, what are their, what's their messaging? That's you know, that's part of our strategy is to, to learn from the mistakes of our competitors. And I, I recommend yeah. that from everybody. Understanding the marketplace, huge. Understanding your customer product model. Is this a one-time purchase where it needs to be profitable every time you get an order? Or 
can your first order be a little less profitable because you're going to make it up with a long average lifetime value that goes into your strategy deciding on a budget first and foremost knowing that again the the goal is to increase your budget as much as you can as long as you're getting your return return on it yeah yep and then putting that all together and knowing no most organizations especially smaller businesses they don't have you know nike can go and put a billion dollars now into all kinds of different yeah that's not the average small business so you got to start our our general philosophy is start with one tactic master it especially if you have a, a small budget start a little safe yeah mm-hmm. and then build momentum and then add on to that none of us can can predict the future i don't think that would be kind of cool but <laughs> right it would be so much easier to put a strategy oh. together if we had a time machine. We got to get on that. But we don't. And, you know, we don't. nobody has a time machine that I know of or they're not telling me. You got to make some assumptions and kind of wrap your business model in with the, the tactics. And ultimately, the other big advice I get for people is do not fall in love with a tactic. People will be like, they will ride or die. Like, yeah, yeah, you do. Because you're kind of imagining what it's going to look like. And, and especially if it's a tactic that you're familiar with, it's worked in the past or something else. It's easy to, easy to do, but the right. numbers don't lie. Yeah. Cause one thing we have learned, especially in the last 22 years of doing this, it's 23 almost Andy, 23 years. You got to start. I hate to admit used to that. 23. I don't know why I think. I think it's good. Because I wasn't five when we started the agency. That's why I hate it. Let's but the wrap biggest takeaway yes. on digital marketing for anyone that is listening is that attention will go somewhere else. Just plan on people's attention going somewhere else. So it was Instagram, and now Instagram attention is shifting to TikTok a little bit. And Facebook yep. is sort of kind of obviously not going away, but it. It's faded a little bit, right? And and that's one thing. That's one thing that we can plan on for sure. Is that is change? Yeah. In a year from now, TikTok might be the most lame thing ever. It's a ghost town. Blah. Well, I think we're not we're not considering Snapchat. I think there was a point where people thought that Snapchat was going to be the wave of the future for marketing, right? And that really hasn't panned out. Yeah, and, uh, and you know Snapchat for, is still big, but yeah, yeah, but it, not not for for something like us. I think I think those are going to be much more branding campaigns for larger organizations, um, and we're really in in the world of of converting for you know purchasing a product on a yeah. different level. Well, the other thing I do too, uh, I recommend it to anyone who who's trying to grow a business is talk to a bunch of different like i love just talking to my teenage kids about what apps they're using and where their attention is going when Get twitch to know some teenagers <laughs> yeah what when twitch For first sure. came out i was like yeah Great that example. is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life why would i want to sit and watch people play video games and my kids are know. like this is the most amazing thing ever i'm like Okay. Like I just have to accept that. So, but then I also do the same on the other end of the spectrum is I, I look at where my parents' attention is going. They and got what money websites to spend. You. Yeah. So, and it's, it's interesting. And I think you have to constantly be keeping 
a finger on 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 that and just accepting it for what it is yeah right like i have to accept that twitch is this big thing i just do i can't i can't get around it whether i use it or or want to use it is up to me but it has nothing to do with your marketing approach and the other challenge too facing digital marketers is that it's in some ways it's becoming easier and easier to ramp up platforms right so there's more now we have clubhouse coming out and that's that seems yeah. to be exploding so i don't see a slowdown in new tactics and new platforms anytime soon which makes our job as digital marketers really freaking exciting and difficult because it's like we have to have a conversation now about clubhouse is that going to be the right platform for our clients what audience is there how much does it cost what are the formats blah 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 so that's why you just gotta be open-minded and go with the flow in a lot of ways yeah embrace change embrace change i think yeah. that's the name of the game there's your takeaway yeah embrace are you on clubhouse change. by the way me no i'm I'm very old. Like I don't, I don't have things. I can barely like. I can kind of look at TikTok, but I saw I saw this meme that was that said something along the lines of, "I'm I'm in my late thirties. Um, can I just get a newsletter of all the best TikToks sent to me?" And right. that's how I feel. Like I'm not. I don't understand how to get through it. People send them to me, and I like them. I don't understand how to participate and I'm okay with it. I'll let my kids uh, have that. They can have it. So my question to you yes, is where do you think people should go to learn about their audience? Go to learn about their audience? Yeah. So, well, so let's take Billberry West, for example. Yeah, yeah. Right? We know you have to have a little bit of disposable income because you're not going to buy a $200 chair yeah. uh, for your patio when you could buy a, a $15 fold up one right so yeah. it is a bit of a premium product you have to have a little bit of disposable you know we're not selling ferraris but at the same time it's, yeah it's not bargain basement it's yeah yeah it's not bargain basement it's so not a need we know right so we, we started putting this profile together we know that most likely they have to own a home uh to be a customer right probably less likely to buy one of these for your apartment than you yeah. are if you're a homeowner but yeah well it's an outdoor space situation it's somebody who has outdoor space so whether or not you're renting or own you you've got to be invested in making your outdoor door space nice yeah so where do you think with all the tactics out there how do you how would you recommend to somebody to figure out if their audience is there is it a try it is it go use the app um yeah, spending time on on an app to see if the audience is there, to see how other people are talking about something similar. I think you have to look at the edges of your product. So what are similar products and and whether or not they're spending time there is a is a great way to understand it. And then there's tons of tools to use too. I I think that that can't be overstated that we use a lot of tools that help us narrow this down <laughs> and and look at the cold hard numbers agreed and the one thing i do is just you know i think anyone in the digital marketing field has to do and and whether you're in-house or you're and you're hiring an agency to help you or doing it in-house i think you have to spend time yeah. on these platforms you just 
you just do there's some you know easy tricks like if you find and and this this is not following any sort of um methodology there's there's methodology out there that we use but but if you're just trying to kind of dip into it follow some hashtags around find a competitor what are they doing in in the particular platform Uh, you know they probably are using hashtags follow those use the discover i don't use that very much for my own like personal um but any sort of i'm thinking instagram like there's a whole like discover area search and and you can really find some interesting stuff that way and then you you know definitely look at volumes but then watching other people i i think it's easy for us to get in our heads and and for our customers or our clients to to follow their own assumptions but actually watching how people interact with you know whether or not they're how they're searching or how they're interacting with social media or your site itself there's lots of great tools out there for understanding how how people behave and so it, you- it tells you a lot it's it's sort of um it's it's that um, objective versus subjective approach. Like some of it comes down to I'm not the person who's putting the spreadsheet models together. You know, like I'm more living in the what what's the site gonna be shaped like based on that. Do we need that content strategy to complement whatever we're doing you know, on the digital marketing side? You know, connecting the dots of you know who who is who's our customer? Are they male or female? How old are they? What is their disposable income? What are their other interests and then looking for opportunities to create content that's going to be relevant to them. I don't know if that's going to be worth our time this time or, you know, for phase one, that's kind of where I come in is, is starting to look at those. What do we do with the keyword research on the site itself? Yeah. Which I think might lead into one of our next topics, which is how, how important is content going to be on this site? Are we going to have a 10 page site or a hundred page site? Yeah. And that, the, you know, and that's something we're still working on because yeah. there's looking at the data and doing, putting our marketing plan together and strategy. There's some real interesting things there that we have to, to decide if, if they'll pay off or not. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Cart. Now that we've mapped out our marketing strategy, we're moving into a discussion of marketplaces like Amazon. For better or worse, they're not going anywhere. We'll talk about the pros and cons for a company like ours and whether selling on a marketplace is right for your business. Beyond the Cart is produced by Lightburn. Our episode today was produced and edited by Ryan Dabrowski. Our music is the song Let's Go 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 by Tiger Blood Jewel. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your audio. You can always learn more about e-commerce at lightburn.co. I'm Nora Lal. And I'm Andrew Winthizer. And we'll see you next time on Beyond the Cart.